Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thanks for tuning in. I am so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we're learning how to live as God's people, reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I would encourage you to look us up on the web at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Our podcasts are there, and you can subscribe to get the next one. Um, Today, we're going to continue our series in the book of Ruth. The theme for this year is holy, and Ruth has a lot to say about the holiness of the decisions we make. And today, we're going to look at one of those decisions, which is how we use the power, all the blessings, all that God has given us. So let's turn our attention to this week's message. Gustav Doré's illustration of Ruth and Boaz. It's a picture you can look it up on uh, Facebook if you want. It depicts the distance between power and poverty. It's a simple black and white etching showing front and center with, with a lot of clarity Ruth, and she's picking up grain from the harvested crops. She is a diligent Her hands are delicate. Her back is turned from the workers. She doesn't seem to be too concerned about them, but it also shows that she's separate from them and alone. Her eyes are focused on her work, or perhaps, with another glance at the picture, her eyes are downcast. The people behind her, the next row back, are workers. They're faded a little bit more into the background. Uh, They're a little less detailed, and because of that, a little less human. Some are just simply lost in their work. Others work, but they look over their shoulders at Ruth. And a few of them, near the middle, huddle together, pointing, perhaps whispering, gossiping. Should she be here? What will the master say? The final row of people, the furthest away, is again less detailed, a little more gray. All are seated on camels, high up with authority. Most look over their shoulder. They're too busy with their work to even notice a poor Moabite girl gleaning grain, except for Boaz. He is head and shoulders above all the figures in the picture. The distance between him and her is very great. It's a distance that is very large physically, socially, and economically. And yet, despite the distance, Boaz sees Ruth. You can look at the picture Gustav Doré drew, portrayed Boaz as looking with a beeline right at Ruth. We read in the story of Ruth, Boaz using his authority and his power to help Ruth and to move her from obscurity to the heart of the community. And in the same way, you and I are called to reach out to those who may seem far away, but they're in need. They're on the edges of our community, at a distance, and we're to draw them into the center and to be nearer to God. So, the big idea for today is use all that God has given you, however much, however little, to bring others into his family. Today, as we continue to read the story of Ruth, we encounter Boaz. We finally get to him. He is a man of upstanding reputation, of wealth, and of considerable power. He also uses what he has to care for others. And in our story, he brings Ruth from a place of hopelessness as an outsider to a place of welcome in the inner circles of the community. And I want you to listen for that 
as we read the story today. We're going to read Ruth, the whole second chapter, verses 1 through 23. It's a little longer, but I think you'll capture that move from distance to closeness, from obscurity to being known here in Ruth chapter 2. So it begins here in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her go among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabite, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. 
So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So that's our story. And I want to cover a piece of information here before we get into the actions of Boaz. And that piece of information is gleaning. I mean, what on earth is gleaning anyways? And gleaning, it's a practice commanded by God's law to provide for the poor so that they would have food in times of famine and so that those who had no land to farm would be able to acquire some food. There are three places this shows up in Scripture. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10 is the first place that it shows up, and it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Then we see in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, these words, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So that's twice. And then a third time, God tells Israel this is what they are to do. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 19, it says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, for the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This was a command that God gave to his people to provide for those who didn't have, who were poor, who were outsiders. It's a command that requires faith. I mean, first of all, it's a command to leave food behind that you have personally worked hard to produce. That's not easy to do. Secondly, it's a command given in the desert. You know, in the desert, it's dry. In the desert, it's difficult to have abundance. You know, food is scarce in the desert. And God's saying, nope, leave it behind. And in the case of the story of Ruth, remember... Thirdly, the thing I want to point out is there had been a famine in Israel. In this very town where Ruth finds herself, there had been a famine. And imagine experiencing a famine and then saying, you know, it's time to gather in the harvest. We haven't had one in a while. Oh, by the way, make sure you just leave some of that food laying there in case there's someone who's hungry. I mean, if we had experienced famine, I think we'd probably be gathering all we can. But God commanded. And so they did especially Boaz. This was a command where God tells us that it's not good for us to squeeze every last drop of production and profit for ourselves. Gleaning is a command that God instituted for us to, and this is how God works through us, to help people, to help those in need. So, yeah, it might sound like a silly, old, outdated thing, gleaning. I don't think it's all that outdated at all. In fact, it's one of the ways God chose to use you and me, his people, to help those in need. And I would say this about gleaning, of leaning, leaving some of the extra behind, is it's a practice that when you do it, it changes you. As you move from just looking out for yourself to protecting others. And yeah, it's a stretch of your faith because uh, it's an act of faith to leave something behind that would benefit you, to bless others. One last thing I'd say about gleaning. 
And this is something that maybe we miss in the story of Ruth. But gleaning, especially in the story of Ruth, is a way of serving God when we're unaware of it. When if you really think about it, Boaz gets to inadvertently serve the coming Messiah. He gets to serve Jesus by caring for Ruth. Now, he doesn't know this, but his obedience allows Ruth to be blessed, allows, allows Ruth to survive. They, they get married. Spoiler, you know, that's going to happen in this story. And eventually, from their family tree comes Jesus. Boaz, by leaving a little bit, got to bless the Lord, making provision. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, there's a story about a king, and he's passing judgment, and there are some that he tells that they have blessed him, they have served him, because they've cared for those who are in prison, and those who are poor, and he says this in 25, verse 40. He says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And that's something that we are called to remember. When we serve those who are least, we're serving the Lord. We're serving Christ. Well, our text today has many characters in it. There's Ruth, uh, there's Naomi, the mother-in-law, there's Boaz, a man of reputation and wealth. There's the workers of the field. Uh, they're, they're both men and women who are working in the field in different groups, and they have an overseer. And I would remind you that Naomi, uh, she's a widow now. She's lost her sons. She's lost her husband. She's renamed herself Mara, meaning bitter. She feels that God has dealt bitter, bitterly with her, and she, I would say even more so, is bitter herself personally. Though she's traveled to come home to where God is at work, I get the impression she's given up. She needs help, and Ruth provides it by going and gleaning. Both Ruth and Naomi are in need of help, but I want to highlight Ruth for the most of the message today, for um, she's the one that meets with Boaz, and that's the focus of the text. Ruth chapter 2 is about Ruth's predicament as an outsider. She has very few resources, and uh, she becomes an insider in this chapter, and we need to highlight that. I would remind you, Ruth, in case you're trying to picture how much of an outsider she is, she's a woman in a man's world, patriarch's rule. She's a widow in a society structured around large families, so she doesn't have that. On top of that, she has no son during a time when offspring uh, would be her job. That would be her calling, taking care of the children. She doesn't have any. She's a Moabite foreigner in Israelite territory. That's a big outsider. She has no power. She has no land. She has no family. And as a result, it looks like she has no future. So Ruth is in trouble, and so is Naomi, and they need help. But that doesn't mean that Ruth cannot contribute. I'm going to say a lot about what Boaz does here, but there's something I want to point out. You know, Boaz uses his power and his wealth to help out Ruth and Naomi, but Ruth uses what little she has to help Naomi as well. I mean, Naomi's given up. She's not going out and looking for grain, but Ruth says, you know what? I'm going to go. Will you give me permission to go? We've got to do something here. 
And you might find yourself in a place in life where you feel like you need help. But most of us are also in a place where in some way we can help others, whether it's with our efforts or with our encouragement. And I would even just simply say this, one of the greatest ways we can help others is to offer our friendship to them. So I'd encourage you, as much as I'm going to say that we all need to be Boazes, we also need to be a Ruth, because Ruth has a lot to contribute. She's not just receiving, she's giving just as much in the story today. But now I want to turn to Boaz and talk a lot about him. I want to start with the question, why on earth does Boaz help? And there's a lot of things we could say, but I want to say one of the biggest reasons that Boaz helps Ruth is his character. His character has prepared him to be a person who's going to help. And your character will position you to either help others or become indifferent or even to harm others. So my question for you is, are you letting God shape your character? Are you letting him shape your character so that you can help others? Or can you see in your character that you have turned away from the Lord? And so now you don't care much the way you should. Let's take a look for a moment at Boaz's normal, everyday character, because his normal, everyday character is as such that he is now prone to offer help. It's, it's just the way he leans in life. It's not like he decided this moment, you know what, today I think I'm going to be good. He had a lifetime of character development. So there's a couple of things I see in Boaz that I think are, are worth us noting. And the first one is this. Boaz is a man who readily blesses others. That is a part of his character. You find it in verse 4. When he greets his workers, you know, the Lord be with you. He, he wants to bless them. Oh, Lord, the Lord to be with you. And they, in turn, bless him. In verse 12, he blesses Ruth for her faithfulness to Naomi. And in turn, at the end of the chapter, Naomi blesses Boaz. I mean, blessing is contagious, right? And Boaz fosters a community where blessing is common and given freely. He could instead do the opposite. He could see everybody as an enemy or a problem, something he has to wrangle under his will. And his response might be to curse instead of bless. We see a lot of that in our world today. Boaz could curse his workers for not being faster, for not being more efficient. He could curse the gleaners. Oh, you're taking what you didn't. Hey, I grew that. That's my grain, but you don't have a right to that. He could curse the foreigner who takes what belongs to the people of God. There could be a lot of cursing. Instead, he blesses. So I want to ask you, do you foster an attitude that seeks to bless others or curse others? And maybe you're not explicitly, I probably shouldn't use the word explicit, but Maybe you're not just cursing and, and, and being angry with others, but our world is so divided, it's so easy to forget to bless others and see them as problems instead. So, do you see others as precious to God or a problem for God's people? So, Boaz is a man who readily blesses. Boaz is also generous. We can see Boaz's generosity to Ruth throughout the whole chapter. But I get the impression from the very outset that he's a man who is generous regularly and often. He's generous with his workers. And one indicator is the way they greet him when he shows up. They bless him. They think well of him. 
That's not something that just happens because they want to impress him in the moment. He's generous with them. In fact, one thing that he's generous with is his trust of them. He knows that if he commands them to do certain things, to care for this Moabite girl, to not put a hand on her, that they'll do it. He trusts them. He's generous with them. And Ruth, I'm sure, is not the first time that Boaz has been generous. It's a, been a regu- regular practice of generosity. Um, and I would say this for you. The regular practice of generosity in your life will prepare you for the moments when you need to help others. And it's going to stretch you out of your comfort zone. So be generous. Be generous often. A third thing about Boaz's character And this, I think, is perhaps the most important one. Boaz sees others as made in the image of God. Now, it doesn't say that in the text, that Boaz came up and he saw his workers as made in the image of God. It doesn't say that, but it's the way he treats them. He treats his workers as people and not as machines to just go faster, pick the grain up quicker. Boaz is a man who notices people. Nothing says he had to bother with Ruth, even acknowledge her presence on earth. But he sees her, and he asks who she is. And upon hearing her name, we find out he already knows her story and the kindness that she has shown to Naomi. This is a man who notices people. People are important to him because they are important to God. He notices Ruth. He sees her presence in the field. He could have just overlooked her as a nobody, but his character would not allow this. So he inquires about her. He already knows her story. He's noted her character, that she's been loyal to Naomi, that she chose to stay with Naomi. Remember, Naomi tried to send Ruth away, but Ruth was completely devoted to her and even more so to God. And he also knows that Ruth has left her former land and her people, a sure thing, a place of safety, for this new life in Israel. And I would contend that because Boaz sees others as made in the image of God, he honors God when he loves them, when he cares for them, when he values other people as made by God. Boaz's character, the way he conducts himself, positions him to be ready to help Ruth when she needs it. And I would add that godly character is contagious and the news of a travel. You know, news of Ruth's character has traveled throughout uh, beyond her reach through this story as well. So, there's a lot of reasons why Boaz helps, but I think one of the big ones is his character. He's surrendered his character to God. God has shaped him, and so he is a man who blesses and is generous, and he sees others as made in the image of God. So he is already predisposed to help when Ruth shows up in his field. So what does he do? What does Boaz do? And I think there's four big things that Boaz does that we can learn from, because we can do these for others. I mean, we can't do all four at once, but when you can, something powerful happens. And so Boaz does four things. He respects Ruth, he protects Ruth, he provides for Ruth, and as I've already mentioned, he blesses Ruth. So let's talk about those real quickly here. First, he respects Ruth, even through the simple way that he addresses her. He's asking, okay, who is this 
woman in our field here, and the overseer, he identifies Ruth as these. She's that Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. I mean, like, how biased is that? I don't know if biased is the right word, but, I mean, think about it. He could say she's the Moabite who came back with Naomi, but instead he says, just so we're clear, she's a foreigner. She is the Moabite who came back from Moab. Got to say both of those to make how clear of an outsider she is. That's the overseer. That's how he identifies Ruth. Ruth, when she talks about herself in chapter 2, she identifies herself in verse 10 as a foreigner when she's talking with Boaz. And then later she talks about herself as like a servant in verse 13. But Boaz is different. He's not saying, oh, the Moabite girl. He's not saying the foreigner. He's not saying that servant girl. Boaz calls her my daughter. Can you hear the care and the respect in that label? Boaz does not simply say, hey, you. He does not call her the Moabitess. You know, to a woman who must be feeling the eyes of everyone on her who must feel most unwelcome, that label, my daughter, must be a greeting that's just overflowing with kindness. He respects her. Secondly, he protects Ruth. Boaz offers assurance that his workers will not lay a hand on her. You can see that in verse 6. He orders the workers not to reprimand her in verse 15, and then he orders them not to rebuke her, verse 16. Ruth, just to remind you, is a widow in a foreign place. She knows she stands out. She knows she is vulnerable. Boaz does what he can to offer safety, both physically, but also from gossip and also from insult. He's sparing her for so much hardship that people can just do when they see someone who's an outsider. He protects her. Thirdly, he provides for Ruth. Boaz provides in a lot of ways. He provides stability. He tells her, you know, instead of getting up every day and looking for a new field, I mean, because Ruth, every day she goes out to glean, she's got to wonder, am I, am I going to find a field today to find grain where they're going to let me, the, the person there will be kind, where the person will be safe? Boaz says, always come here. You will always have a place to look for grain in my fields. You are welcome. Don't even have to worry about asking. Just do it. He provides stability for her. He provides status for Ruth because Ruth is a nobody. But Boaz invites her into the same care as any of his workers, not just the women. She can drink what the men drink. She can rest where they rest. And eventually, Boaz shares a meal with Ruth. It's not a date. They might read it that way. It's not. He's showing everybody else that Ruth is important. So important that Boaz, the master of the field, personally dines with her. Ultimately, Boaz elevates Ruth from being an unwanted and invisible person to a member of the heart of the community. You can trace a series of steps through Ruth chapter 2 where she's elevated. She goes from being a foreign outsider to welcomed in the field of Israel, from the field 
to working among the women, from the women to being welcome among the men, from the men to being to sharing a meal with Boaz himself. It's step after step after step at elevating her each bit of the way. Thirdly, Boaz provides materially for Ruth. Food is Ruth's need, and Boaz provides. He lets her glean, but more than that, instead of the edges, she can walk with the workers of the field. And Boaz orders the workers to intentionally drop extra bits of grain, heads of wheat, heads of barley for her to gather. He provides a meal of roasted grain for her and sends her away with more roasted grain. So let's take a moment and talk about that grain that Ruth is able to gather. The text tells us that she gets an ephah of grain. (laughs) How much grain is in an ephah and is it important? Well, there's a debate on just how big an ephah is. But regardless, it's a large amount of grain at least large compared to what Ruth would expect to be able to get. It's anywhere between four to nine gallons worth of grain. That'd be enough for people for five to seven days, even more. Ruth and Naomi would not expect that much grain at all, let alone roasted grain that can be eaten immediately. In fact, uh, Naomi probably didn't expect anything or even just a handful. The last thing that Boaz does... And he does it early in the story. He blesses Ruth. And I want to note that when Boaz blesses Ruth, he's not just wishing nice things for Ruth. Boaz understands that blessings come from the hand of God. And he's telling Ruth, a Moabite woman, an outsider to the Jewish faith, that God has a place for her among his people. And God wants to bless her and know her. So when you put respect and protection and provision and blessing together, you're able to offer real help to those who are in need. So I would challenge you, because you and I are called to be like Boaz. We're called to be like Ruth. Do what we can, even when we don't feel like we can do a lot. But we're called to be a Boaz as well. We're called to help those who are in need. We're called to look out for the powerless, for the overlooked, for the outsiders. And we are called to offer respect and protection and provision and blessing together as much as possible. Now, being a Boaz has a cost. There's a material cost. There's a time cost. There's even a reputation cost. Being a Boaz, it's got to be personal. Our culture would rather that we see people as faceless tribes on one side of an idea or on the other side, but God asks us to see the face of our neighbors, to be personal. And being a Boaz is risky because you can be rejected. The personal cost of helping those in need can be sometimes too great. Our reputation can be risked. The danger might just be very real. I would say this, Boaz knows all these risks, the costs, how personal it must be. He sees all those risk factors and he faces into them because none of those risks are bigger than God. And he knows his Lord. And you and I have God on our side. So we are called to be a Boaz and be on the lookout for Ruth's. Will you do this? Let's pray. Lord, you've called each of us to be like Boaz, to bless others, to protect others, to respect others, to care for others, to elevate them. I acknowledge that this is not always easy. In fact, it's often very risky to do. It seems like everywhere I turn these days, there's a new enemy to the church. 
Lord, help me to see others not as dangers, but as people that you've made in your image, people that you love, people that Jesus has died on the cross for. Lord, change my heart, change my character to be a person who shortens the distance that we put between each other so that everyone I can come into contact with can draw nearer to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.